Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. So before I started in vocational ministry, I was a general manager of a small business and the owners, they were hands off. They lived a couple hours away and uh, well, they owned several different types of businesses. They didn't know our industry at all. So the cool thing was I got to own and operate every aspect of it. They were very hands off. And one of the great things about them is they were Christians. They knew, of course, I was in seminary, I was in school, they loved the fact that I was a Christian, and they knew I shared my faith with employees, and I would lead them and counsel them through biblical principles. I mean, they really appreciated that, and I appreciated that they had allowed me to operate in that open type of environment. And one of the great things was I was able to lead several of the employees to faith in Christ. I was able to share and, and talk with others who were interested, trying to grow and learn about Jesus Christ. But we were open, because it was customer service industry, we were open seven days a week, 10 hours a day. And so people, even those who were interested in exploring Christ or those who had just recently become Christians, they were unable to actually attend church because we were open on Sunday mornings. And so I had to go to the boss and express my feelings about this. I told them, I think we need to change the hour operations on Sunday. We need to open up later so people who are exploring the faith can go to church. And trust me, I understand business is business. I understand business is a place to make money, right? Spreadsheets rule the day because if you don't make money in business, you're not going to be open very long. So I knew that. But I also knew that as Christians... They believed that people should know about Jesus and be able to worship Jesus. And of course, I did what you would expect. Well, I asked them, I said, listen, it's super hard to tell everyone you're a Christian and that they should believe in Jesus Christ, but then you won't allow them to worship because you make them work. And so I had to decide. They had to live with that tension. Are they willing to shut down operations, willing to lose some money so people can know more about Jesus? Or are they more worried about profits and ensuring they make as much money as possible? They were faced with this dilemma that isn't just unique to business owners, though, is it? It's something we're all going to face because we live in a world that touts and shouts about its wisdom and its intelligence, and this is how things operate. But then we have a faith that says that God is the God of wisdom and tells us how to live. And so when our faith and the other things we value are at odds, which do we choose? Every single one of us are going to be faced with this problem. Because the teachings of Jesus and his kingdom are radically different than what he calls the kingdoms of this world. Those of you who are starting school again or going off to school, you're going to have to make choices between following the advice and wisdom of your friends or of Jesus. 
Those of you who are in business, work for a business, or run a business, you're constantly faced with choices that can be summed up with, are people more important than money, or are money more important than people? I know for me, when I was running that business, labor was one of the main things we controlled. It was something we actually checked hourly because it was our highest expense, and I had certain labor goals I had to stay in. And so I was always faced with, do I ensure that I beat my labor goals and send people home or have to cut hours? But then what about my duty to help people make money and eat, right? Like those are things and situations you're faced with, and you have to decide what's more important. For those of you who are teachers starting school, my goodness, you deal with this all the time. You deal with knuckleheads like me in school, right, who give you a run from your money and just need someone to know. Like for me, I needed to know that somebody loved me and cared about me. That's all I needed to know. And I would be as loud as possible until someone would share that and tell me about that. But you also have this whole group of students you got to teach, this whole group of kids you got to invest in. And so we see Jesus, right, teaching to the large crowds, but we also see that teaching about leaving the 99 to go after how many? One. Right? That's not easy. That's something you have to work through. And of course, the examples can go on and on. But when what we're all going to be faced with or are faced with is how can we actually be Christians in business, at school, in the government environment? I mean, how can we live out Christian values in the marketplace? What is the final filter for our lives? Is it spreadsheets, policies, laws, rules, friends, boards, managers, or the gospel? What is the final decision when we're making decision? And it's easy when these things are aligned, right? When they go hand in hand. But when they're not, when the gospel says to do one thing, but the wisdom of the world says to do another, which do we follow? You see, that's the situation we find ourselves in as we continue our series called The Church Next Door, where we're navigating 1 Corinthians. You see, this church in Corinth was made up of normal people like you and me. They were trying to navigate everyday life in a flourishing city. Things were going well. People wanted to make a name for themselves. And they were trying to figure out, how do I live out the gospel in everyday life? Because in every culture, just like ours, there's different ideologies, different ways people act, different goals people want to achieve. And so they're trying to mix in what the world says with what Jesus says and trying to live that out. But you see, Jesus was very clear. He said his kingdom, the way he operates, the things he tells us, is not of this world. In other words, living under King Jesus looks very different than living under King whomever. And this church, they were bringing in the wisdom of the world into the church. Again, like any culture, there are common ideas about how things should work. And like us, they have teachers and philosophers and businessmen and business ideas and saying, hey, this is how we need to do things. This is what it looks like. But it was opposed to what the gospel says. And of course, when we're talking about wisdom, it's not this abstract idea, right? Wisdom is the everyday stuff that teaches us how to get from this point to this point. Like, how do we live life? How do we achieve our goals? What do we need to do in order to get what we want? And this church especially valued human wisdom 
and public speaking skills. That's what this culture was full of. And it was causing division in the church to the point of they were following different leaders. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks because it comes back up in the letter and we'll focus in on it then. But Paul wants to get these issues settled. He's going to the core of the issue. He's laying this theological foundation for everything else he's going to tell us in the letter. Because like I told you last week, the Corinth church, they had a ton of problems. I mean, big problems. And Paul's letting them know, here's the core issue, the founding issue. This is what's going on. And he goes directly to the heart of it. Because he's going to tell them things they don't like. He's going to tell them things they don't want to do. He's going to make them feel very uncomfortable and how they grew up and the things they were taught to do. He's going to go completely against that. And he lays the theological foundation for why he does that. You see, he's going to teach them to be countercultural. Because that's what it means to live out the gospel in everyday life. Countercultural. He lets them know up front that Christians cannot use commonly accepted wisdom that guides the surrounding culture as a standard for thinking and living. Let's jump right into it. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Corinthians 1.18. If not, it'll be on the screen. Here's what he says. He says, the message of the cross is what? Foolish to those who are headed for the destruction. But we who are being saved... No, it is the very power of God. So right up front, look at what he does. He describes two types of people. He says those who are saved, those who believe the gospel message, and then we have those who are headed for destruction. And of course, that's an interesting way to describe an unbeliever, isn't it? We wouldn't be so bold to say that, but his point is very clear. And the reason why he's making it is because those people that you're listening to, that wisdom you're listening to, when you're ignoring the gospel, when you're ignoring Jesus, when you're using common everyday practices, those people who believe and come up with that, where are they headed? Right. He's like, so why why are you listening to them? They don't believe in the gospel. Like their ideas, where they're leaning, their education, it's taking them the wrong way, folks. And so the message of the cross, though, that is the gospel, that Jesus the Nazarene was God's son who came into this world to restore our broken relationship with God by dying for our sins. He was crucified by the Romans. He was raised to life by the power of God. And now is the Lord of the world summoning people to faithful obedience. And through our faith in this Jesus, we have eternal life. And we will be with God for eternity. And so will everyone else who believes. That is the message of the cross. But the people who reject it, the unbelievers... They think the message is foolish. They reject it. They want to use their own understanding of the world, perhaps a scientific understanding of the world. And where does it lead them? Paul says they're going to destruction. And he's going to spend the next couple of however long we're here today explaining this out. This is his point, and this is what he's going to keep repeating in different ways to prove what he is trying to say that as Christians, we got to know up front, people are going to think the things we do, the things we believe, Or what? Foolish. 
So just know it up front, folks. The world's not going to understand everything, and we're not going to understand everything they do. Verse 19, he says, as the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. He's saying, listen, the wisdom of this world cannot save you. Remember, this life, Christians believe, is preparation for what? Eternity. And no matter how smart you may be, no matter how much you accumulate on this earth, in light of you standing before a holy God and facing his judgment and rejecting him, no matter what you do on this earth, if you reject him, you are foolish. Because he provided a path for salvation. He came to us and died for us, offered us forgiveness and said, come on. But those who reject him, they're disregarding his purposes and plans for the world. And so at the end of the day, if you don't follow what God has said, if you don't live out his plans and purposes, Paul says your wisdom, where it leads you, is to nothing. To destruction. He said it's foolish to reject God. God has made your plans foolish. You see, the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, comes from its own source. It comes from human. But the gospel comes from God. It's an everlasting source of life. And then he continues, verse 21. He says, since God and his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, meaning we can't logically put it together and discover God on our own. It's impossible. We never would. We're not smart enough. He has used our foolish preaching You'll see why he says that. To save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews. Now he tells you the worldview he's defending, the, the people who are calling him fool, foolish, he points him out. He said it is foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven. And it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. See, that's what they were dealing with, the culture and the people around them, saying this is silly and ridiculous what you believe. But Paul says that God knew that we could never come to him on our own efforts and our own logic. And that's the amazing thing about the God of Scripture. He doesn't keep us guessing. He doesn't keep us wondering. He doesn't say, hey, you need to figure out how to please me, and if I don't like it, I'm just going to judge you and smite you. No, no. We have a God who chose to fully reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And he chose to reveal himself to us in his word and give us the standard. This is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to live for me. Because we're not smart enough to figure that out. When we think about the message of Jesus, it is kind of crazy, isn't it? That God would come and die for us. I mean, what kind of God is that? But the Jews, they wanted a sign. They wanted to see the works, and we see that throughout the gospel. We see the Jews asking Jesus to perform these signs and wonders, and even though he did so much, they still rejected him because they wanted him to do more. And the Greeks, well, they wanted the latest philosopher. They wanted the brilliant businessman or the brilliant teacher to, to explain everything to them, to, to, you know, we don't really need that God. We need this latest, newest, greatest thing. But back then, just like now, people are consumed with power and knowledge. They want more of it. They can't get enough of it. And so they deemed the gospel 
The message that God has revealed and that God must reveal. The message of the gospel, foolish folks, because the gospel says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and God has done it all for you. It's by grace. The gospel, you got to be humble enough to go, I can't do it. It's not about me. It's about him. Verse 24, he says, but to those who are called by God to salvation, both the Jews and the Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's saying the gospel is both the way to salvation and the way to live out your everyday life. Folks, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the whole account of him, it deals with our past sins, but it also gives us a new identity. It tells us how to come to him, and it tells us what we need to do after that. And God is the source of power for salvation, and he's the source of power to sustain life. The gospel reminds us of the sovereignty of God and how he works out his purposes in everyday world. And he is the wisdom. Like the gospel is enough. God is enough to guide and direct our everyday life. And then he says in verse 25, he says, In this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And of course, Paul isn't calling God foolish. He's playing on their words. And he's saying, no matter how foolish you think God is, no matter how smart you think you are, he is far superior to us in every way. The message of the cross is foolish to some, which means the way we live because of it, the power and the wisdom of God is foolish to them as well. But Paul is laying down the foundation of what's to come. He's saying the wisdom of the cross versus the wisdom of the world. They're not going to align. They're going to be against each other. And you have to pick who are you going to follow? What are you going to live for? And he says God is far smarter. God's plans is far greater than anything you can come up with. And so the idea is this. When God, says, when God says to step out on faith, but the world says to play it safe, who do you listen to? Do you think you can outplan God? Are we wiser or stronger than him? When God says to take your sexuality serious, but the world says it's just sex, no big deal, who are you going to listen to? When God says live generously and give and the world says hoard and keep, who are you going to listen to? And those of you who are leaders, I mean, you, have, you, you understand the foundation of grace that God has called you and accepted you because of his grace. He forgives you, because, he forgives you for everything you've done, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so I ask, does your leadership reflect the grace of God in your dealings with people? Do you show them the grace that was shown to you? Or do you love the grace of Jesus Christ and then you lay down the law with those other people? Right? Don't lie now. Right? We want to operate under the law when it's someone else. We want to operate under grace when it's us, don't we? But does your leadership reflect the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ? Go and read the parable of the unforgiving servant and see how that works out for you. Those of you in leadership. 
You see, we are called to be gospel people in every area of our life, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we look foolish in front of others. And so I ask, are you willing to look like a fool for Jesus Christ? You see, Paul's point is you will look foolish. People won't understand The cross is scandalous, that we serve a dying Savior. And he says, you need to know that up front. And here's what he does next. It's so awesome. To prove his point, he illustrates with an everyday example they'd be familiar with. It's extremely funny in my point of view. He says, do you want to see how God's wisdom is so different? Do you want to see how God can take something that looks so foolish and something so pointless and then actually do something pretty amazing? He says, do you want to know how you can trust God to do the unexplainable? And of course, like, yeah, Paul, how? He says, well, look at you. Look at the very fact that you're saved. Follow what he says here. It gets tough. Look at this. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, if Paul seems to be being nice right here, you better see what he's about to lay down. He's like, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes. Or powerful or wealthy when God called you. All right. So follow this. So few of you were good. Like a couple of you had it together. A couple of you in the world standards were pretty good. You catching that? A couple of you, right? But now, instead, so he said just a couple of you were, but the rest of you, instead, God chose the things of the world considered foolish. He's talking about them. In order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the thing that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Next verse. God chose the thing despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothingness what the world considers important. He says, look at what God's done with you. You weren't anything impressive. If God was using the same standards that the world used, he would have never picked you. He would have never used you. He would have never saved you, called you, or had you a part of the church because you were despised by others. And folks, that's what we see over and over again in the Bible, isn't it? You remember Moses? What was Moses doing? He killed a man and was hiding, right? God called him to lead his people. What was David doing? Shepherd boy, nobody else liked. God called him to be king. The apostles weren't anybody. God takes these nobodies and does something amazing with them. And I can assure you from my testimony, there's absolutely no reason why I should be up here. God takes the foolish things to shame the wise, Paul says. He tells us why in verse 29. He says, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. There isn't going to be a person who can stand in front of God and talk about how awesome and amazing they are. There isn't a person who's going to say, look at my skills, look at my amazing money. God, look at all the awesomeness. No one's going to be able to boast, he says, because God's done all the work. Look at verse 30. He says, God has united you with Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be the wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Paul's point, he says, listen, folks, God is the one who's done the saving. He's the one who's united you with Christ. 
Wisdom is personified in Jesus Christ. He's the one who guides. He's the one who reveals. Anything we do, anything in life that we do that is successful, all credit goes to whom? God, right? What Paul is showing them, he's saying, listen, God chose to save you through Jesus Christ. The culture around, the culture around you that you used to follow, the wisdom of the world you used to try to do good things with, it didn't lead you where you wanted to go. You knew those business practices, those leadership books, that money management, whatever, whatever, whatever. You knew it couldn't save you, so you came to Jesus. Like, you, you knew the world could only take you so far. You knew football could only take you so far. You knew baseball could only take you so far. You knew education could only take you so far. You knew that stuff couldn't take you far enough, and so you found the need and understood about Jesus. We're like, okay, we get it. Yeah, Jesus fulfilled the greatest need. You're like, yeah, okay, I got it. That other stuff didn't work, so I needed Jesus. Of course, Paul says. So then why are you trying to go back to that other stuff? Why are you bringing that other stuff back in the church? Why are you trying to use that and bring it in here when it's about Jesus? The gospel is enough, he's saying. That stuff didn't work before. It's not going to work now. What God has done through Jesus Christ is enough. As folks, Paul's going to lay it down on them thick here. We're going to be in this letter for a while going through it, but I'm just letting you know up front. He's setting the foundation for what's to come. And he's telling us, Christian, you're thinking, no matter how smart, no matter how educated, no matter what philosopher, no matter what degree, your, Christ, your thinking must be rooted in the gospel. It must be rooted in the person and the works of Jesus Christ. And it needs to transform everything else you do. And Paul shows that no matter how much we want to trust in other things, popular thoughts of the day or people's wisdom, that ultimately God's wisdom is what's going to prevail. And we have to understand that people aren't always going to understand us as Christians. We're not always going to understand God. Our job is simply to trust him and allow him to deal with the consequences. It's allowing us to step out to follow him. You see, for a long time, folks, our country, our culture, we were founded on Christian ethics and morals and principles. Society and the church seemed to, society and Christian could operate and it seemingly was the same. But folks, that day is gone. And the pressures are just going to get more and more. But back in Corinth, they were trying to learn how to be Christian in a completely immoral society. So perhaps we can start, I mean, nowhere near close, perhaps we can start to understand what people back then were dealing with when the culture around them didn't agree. They were trying to live out the gospel. And Paul's calling them to be countercultural, saying, listen, we're following the cross. We live for Jesus. And it's our job, me and you, it's our job to go into the marketplace and take the gospel with us. To spread gospel principles, to be unashamedly Christian and stick to those morals and those ethics and apply them. We don't have business over here and Jesus over here. There's no such thing as that. Jesus is the Lord of what? Everything. All things. And we need to know up front that the gospel isn't safe. The gospel isn't passive. Christians are called to be faith-filled risk-takers for Jesus Christ. 
We have one life to make an impact for him. He's already saved us. He's already secured us. He's already given you a new identity. He's promised to be with you till eternity and then usher you with him for forever. Folks, he's given you everything and just says, come on. If you don't need to add anything to what I've done for you, come on. How can you live for you? How can you live out the wisdom of the cross this week? Don't ignore the prompting, but how can you actually apply the gospel into your everyday life? What are those areas that you've been avoiding? You see, the company I worked for, the owners who were Christian, they agreed. They said, listen, we want to give these people an opportunity to go to church. You know how awesome that was? But a month later, what happened? Mm. A month later, we lost a little bit of business. A month later, their car count was down a little bit. A month later, they said, we can't do this anymore. We got to open back up at regular time. And my heart broke. I mean, it was their business. They can do whatever they want. But God was doing great things. God was moving at that, that, that company. People were coming to the Lord. Not, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. But then they just couldn't handle the what if. What money are we losing? What dollars aren't working out? What could happen? So they shut it down and reopened back up. And that's what so many Christians choose to do. We choose to trust in the wisdom of this world rather than the wisdom of the cross. They chose fear over faith. What do you pick this morning? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us be Christians who live out the gospel every single day. Father, all of us are faced with worldly wisdom that seems so promising enticing, and enticing. And it opposes you, your upside-down kingdom transformation. But Father, help us be rooted in the gospel. Help us be driven by the gospel in every area of our lives, living for your purposes even when they're unpopular, even when what we choose to do seems against going all the world's standards. Father, help us live out your purposes and plans. Because we believe and know that you are the source of true wisdom and true power. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.